Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ash, and I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. And today we're going to do something a little bit different in that we're going to talk about something that is uh, both sort of endemic, um, it's sort of everywhere, but also it's something that we don't tend to think a whole heck of a lot of about when it comes to actually making investment decisions. When we think about inflation and we think about making investment decisions, we tend to think on the risky end of the spectrum. We think about commodities or real estate or long-term inflation-linked bonds or, or things like that where you are where your performance can be measured in percents. You know, you're, you can you can have a uh, you can add a lot of nominal, uh, and especially real performance. Today, I'm going to talk about cash uh, because cash is sort of interesting because it's an asset class, um, you know, short-term cash. I'm not talking about necessarily just the dollars and cents in your wallet or your purse. I'm talking about uh, cash equivalents, things that are sitting in the bank account that earn zero or earn the T-bill rate, uh, but that uh, are super liquid items that you hold. And, and, and a lot of people tend to think of this asset class as sort of an, uh, an, an add-on or a placeholder. And there's a case, in, there's, there's a sense in which that is true. Um, but it also is, it has sort of a unique position in our portfolio. And so, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, cash actually is uh, an option in a sense and the cost of holding that option is related to inflation. So let's start with why we hold cash. There obviously are, are a lot of reasons that a person might hold cash. Uh, an obvious one is that there's an anticipated need. You're going to have to pay your, your kids their allowance, or you're going to have to um, you have a, a particular cash expenditure in mind that you're going to have to shell out for in the near future. And so, you know, you've, you, maybe you've liquidated some, some less liquid assets so that you have it sitting there. Maybe you're going to make an investment in a private equity firm, and, and so you, you have to have that cash there. Uh, we also keep cash for precautionary needs. That is something you know, it's an unknown unknown. I don't, I don't know that I'm going, what I'm going to need this cash for, but I know that things come up and that I'm going to need the cash for precautionary reasons, or at least it's a good thing to have around. And in fact, investment advisors will often tell people that the first thing they should do when you start to save is to set aside three months or six months or, or whatever, pick a number um, of cash as a, as an emergency fund. And, and so that's, that's addressing the precautionary demand side of things that you, you might lose your job and suddenly you need to have something liquid, uh, that's available that you can apply to your, your near-term expenses. Um, you might be, you might hold cash because there aren't any better alternatives that you look around the investing landscape and you say, gosh, stocks look really expensive on a trailing PE basis. Um, and bond yields are too low, and 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 you sort of go through the the menu of potential investments, and you go, oh, this this all kind of sucks. I think maybe I'll just hold cash. Some people hold cash as uh, because they have a fear of risk. 
you know, the old stuff it in the mattress approach. And that's distinct from, from the prior use. You know, if you think that prices are too high and, and, and nothing's attractive, it's not the same as being afraid of risk. It's just saying that you're not getting the right price for risk. But there are people who are just legitimately afraid. And so they have more than they need for anticipated needs. They have more cash than they need for precautionary things, things that are you know, likely to go wrong or, or that, that could reasonably go wrong. And they just keep lots and lots of cash because they are just afraid of losing nominal value over time. Um, retirees often have this, this issue. And, and frankly, I think they get bad advice a lot of times. People tell them, tell retirees to hold more equities than, than they're comfortable with uh, because the alternative sitting in cash is, is a way to lose money slowly. But retirees also fear losing money quickly and so, again, often they don't necessarily get the best financial advice. Uh, but one end of the spectrum is I'm terrified of losing money quickly, so I'll just hold a lot of cash because that way I'll at least have the same nominal value over time. And then finally, and, and I guess maybe this is part and parcel of several of these things, uh, cash serves as a way to access what I call time arbitrage. And what I mean by that is, let's suppose that you're thinking about making an investment. And let's just suppose it's an investment in the stock market. And, and so you look at the prices today, and maybe they seem high to you, maybe they seem low to you. Obviously, the secret of great returns is buying low and selling high. And let's think about what your expected return is between now in five years from now? Well, it depends a lot on what the path of your investment is, what the, what the path uh, that you take relative to the path that the, that, that the stock price takes. You could buy today, and you would buy today if you thought that the, the price of the stock uh, was as low as it was likely to get or close to as low as it was likely to get. But if you thought the price today was very high and there was a chance that you can get it appreciably cheaper sometime, say, in the next year, uh, then it would behoove you to keep that option open and to maybe wait a little while to go and buy. And you might end up buying it a little more expensively. You might buy it a little more cheaply. But on balance, you believe that you can, you're, you're more likely than not to be able to buy this a little more cheaply and therefore to realize a higher return between now and five years from now. The first year owning cash and then the next four years buying the particular investment that you have in mind. And so you can sort of think about all of these paths of, of investment outcomes that are all related to the one investment you want to make, but have to do with when you make that investment. And so how does cash enter into this? Well, cash, holding cash, gives you the opportunity to potentially access some of those various uh, potential outcomes, right? So if you, if you have that liquidity, then at any time, you can then go buy that stock that you have in mind. And so having the cash gives you the, that option. It gives you, you know, again, it allows you to access those paths. 
it gives you the ability, although not the requirement, not the obligation, to go and make that purchase when you want to. Well, having the ability to do something but not the obligation to do it sounds a lot like an option. In fact, that's the way we usually describe options. And optionality is that you have the right but not the obligation to do something. And, and the way we normally sort of think about financial options, it's sort of a no-lose proposition, right? That you'd only exercise that option if you absolutely know that you're above the strike price. And so exercising that option is automatically a win. But not all options are like that. So, you know, you're some options you still have to exercise in a, a uh, in an environment of uncertainty where you still don't know whether you're going to win, but by having that option and exercising that option, you believe that you are now enhancing your probability of winning. So that's what cash does. So cash is kind of operating here as as an option. Now, what is the cost of that option? I mean, you know, it's free, right? You're just holding cash. It doesn't cost you anything to hold cash, um, but it does. It, it not, and I don't just mean in the opportunity cost sense that you're not earning something else, but holding cash, if you have $1,000 today, you know that in a year it's $1,000, you know, if you just sit on the cash and we have zero interest, but the value of that $1,000 will be less as long as inflation is positive. And so ordinarily, if you sat on a thousand bucks for a year, you'd expect to lose, you know, half a percent, one percent, two percent to to the purchasing power of that money over the the span of that year. Now, you know, in over a long span of time, it turns out that T-bills have returned about minus one half percent real yield. And that obviously is all over the place. It has a lot to do with how aggressive the Fed tightens when inflation goes up. Um, And obviously right now with short-term rates at zero and inflation at seven, that the option cost, if you will, is a lot higher. And even over the last couple of years with inflation at two and interest rates at zero, you still had a cost of that option of about 2% of purchasing power per year, and now it's up to 7%. Okay, so so what does that mean? What's the significance of of the fact that the that option cost has gone up? You know, now your your cash is a little more poisoned than it was. You know, the option to sort of sit on that and wait has gotten a lot more. Uh, a lot more expensive. And so if you think about all of the, you know, again, think about that, the five-year outlook and you think about all these paths I can buy today, I can buy in a month, I can buy in six months. And, but all of those paths now come with this cost of 7% per year instead of 2% per year. And so the number of paths that make, where it makes sense to wait to buy whatever you're going to buy the number of paths is smaller. And so that will tend to, among other things, make you want to buy that risky asset sooner than you otherwise will, because now cash is more of a wasting asset than it was two years ago. And so I think that's part of what's behind the the run-up in stocks we've had over the last six months or so. As inflation has gone up, it has 
and, and honestly, I can see this firsthand in the conversations that I have with people who are sitting on cash. You know, they they can't stand having all the cash that they have because they re recognize that it's a wasting asset. And a lot of that money, not so much the people I talk to because we give them other ways to, to address the issue, but a lot of people, I believe, who had been sitting on cash said, okay, I know stocks are expensive, but I can't wait for it anymore. It kills me to wait, so I'm just gonna, I'm just going to, you know, take the punt here, and let's hope that markets really are efficient. And so, and so I don't, I, I don't actually know anything about the path of stocks, and 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 so I, I'll get lucky. And so I think that's that's part of what's going on is that the increase in the cost of holding cash, the increase in the cost of waiting, has made people jump a little faster. I think this also, and this is a little more speculative, I think, even than that, but I do think this also probably enhances the velocity of money. Um, we know that the velocity of money is the inverse of the demand for what? Real cash balances. And so if your demand for cash balances is going down because the, this, this options cost is going up, um, then... Cash is even more of a hot potato, and you want to hold smaller cash balances. And the flip side of that is that money velocity goes up. And so this is sort of a knock-on effect of the higher inflation. If it's not addressed by the Federal Reserve, I think about what happens. If, if the Federal Reserve raises overnight rates to, say, 6%, then that the value of that, that cash option the cost of that option now goes down to 1%. You have 7% inflation and 6% overnight rates. So, so by not addressing inflation, the Fed is in fact sort of feeding back into the inflationary cycle by causing money velocity, in, most likely, to accelerate because cash is, is the demand for cash is going to go down. And obviously, the other implication is that there is a great need out there for inflation-related cash um, you know, there aren't a lot of alternatives. There aren't a lot of ways to dodge this bullet. If you're holding cash, you'd be happy to just earn the price level. One way to do that is to buy I-series savings bonds, but then you lose liquidity. Uh, I-series savings bonds are great for an emergency fund, but only if the emergency fund is something you're not going to need in the next couple of months, because if you have to use, if you have to cash in your I-bonds too soon, then you get a, then there's a penalty of, of uh, months worth of interest, several months worth of interest. And, and so it's not a great alternative to, to something that's truly liquid like cash. Um, you can get very short dated tips, not too short, but something under a year. And that's probably about the best option that you really have. But it's not my it's not my intention here to talk about what investment actions you should take here. My my the intent of this podcast was really just to sort of present to you the idea that cash is an option whose cost is inflation, and and give you something to think about some of the implications for other markets. Well, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, if you want to. If you have a comment on this, and I, I know this is sort of a, a little more esoteric than some of my other podcasts, but if you have any, any thoughts on, on these musings, then you can write to me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. 
uh, you can go to the website at EnduringInvestments.com and, and fill out the contact form, and I can, I'll contact you if you do. Um, you can go and, uh, and you should, uh, subscribe to the podcast. You should follow, uh, you should go to the, my blog at mikeashton.wordpress.com and subscribe to that. You can follow me at inflation underscore guy uh, on Twitter. And of course, if you like this content, then make sure you tell your friends and, uh, and get them to sign up as well. Thanks for tuning in to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. As I said, I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy. Defend your money, whether it's real or nominal. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy. Who